Hello and welcome to another episode of We Ain't Got No Podcast. We Ain't Got No History's official Chelsea podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Funnel, and as always, I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Ram. Ram, been a while, <laughs> as always. Yeah, as always. it's It has been a while, but most importantly, it's good to be back talking to you about Chelsea again. So, hello. Absolutely, yeah. It's always difficult to, to find time nowadays. Uh, but we try to as often as we can because there has been a lot that's happened. Uh, we've had several games. There's been some news. We've had an injury crisis that, or crises actually at this point, um, which we've had to deal with or are still dealing with. Uh, yeah, if, since our last recording, Ram, we've had the Spurs, the City, the Sutton, the Villa game in the Cup and the Juve mm. game in the Champions League being a bit of a mixed results kind of thing there. I mean, overall, we've won three of them, lost two. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we, we went into the na- international break with a very convincing, well, convincing at least. The, the score was convincing. The first half was a bit dodgy, maybe, but... Um, yeah. You know, it was a good win against Southampton. It's not an easy side. Uh, you know, all that Ralph Hasenhüttl, Juju, he can mm-hmm. definitely hurt you. What do you make of this period, this last month that we've had pass by? Should we be happy? Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure we should be because I would say that I wasn't very happy with the performances against Juventus and against Man City as well, and and I guess Tottenham was Tottenham was good from a tactical point of view because mm. uh, I thought Tuchel managed that game quite well, and he, even though it involved taking Mason Mount off, which I never quite like, um, it definitely it, Tuchel's decisions were decisive, and just the way he set us up in the second half solved the issues that we had in the first half, and we just um we gave them very little scope to work their press like they did in the first half yeah and i thought yeah i was uh, i was quite pleased with the spurs game but after that yeah i think it's been um i think it's been suboptimal since because there was obviously man city uh, i think man city outplayed us comfortably on the day <laughs> I don't know what we set out to do exactly that day because it just kind of seemed that we were caught between a rock and a hard place in that game. We were trying to um, sort of try and win the game through transition ball, but we just never, we, we couldn't really turn our transitions into, into anything. And ultimately, they just ended up dominating every aspect of the game, to be honest. So I was, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't, um, I wasn't very happy with the, City game at all, and yeah, Aston Villa was nice because we got to see some other players playing. Ruben mm-hmm. Loftus Cheek, namely um, Matsuno Doi, guys we don't get to see very often. So that was nice from that point of view. Although it was, uh, I thought it was not great that Aston Villa were basically fielding a very second string side as well, with Cameron Archer playing up front, and they still gave us a pretty tough time. And then they brought on their kids later on, whereas we brought on Lukaku and Barkley and Mount. So that 
ultimately, I mean, we won, but again, just yeah, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it was a bad performance. We probably could have nicked it, but it just wasn't as comfortable as I was expecting, given the lineups on display on the day. Uh, e- even though we had like Malang Sar starting, uh, I thought the rest of our side was strong enough. And yeah, I, I just so so I guess Man City was probably or, or Aston Villa was probably the point where we've kind of been a bit wobbly, but then we got back on track against Southampton. So that was nice. Although some might say that that was a bit wobbly in itself as well. Uh, would you, yeah, I mean, would you agree? Do you think we've actually been that good since uh, the Spurs game? I, I mean, the thing is, I'm, you know, I, I normally I'm a very pessimistic kind of guy. I, I, I try not to be, and uh, it's been held against me, but it's, 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 is something that I do in football and uh, maybe it's like a coping mechanism for possible disappointments but I'll be honest obviously I would have rather had us win against um, Juventus and against uh, City but otherwise you know we got through to the next round of the Carabao Cup uh, which in the context of this season I don't really care that much about the Carabao Cup if we end up winning it fine but um, I'd rather have us uh, finally win the FA Cup again after some disappointing uh, displays in, over the past few years or the disappointing end results then. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the City game wasn't nice to watch. I don't know what wrong, uh, what went wrong. It, it was one of those days. And yeah, they, they, they did dominate us in the sense. But then again, we won the last three games against them. So... Okay, Pep came to the bridge. He had a plan. He did well. Tuchel just on that day didn't have the answers, uh, which would help us win. Then again, he won three times in a row at the tail end of last season. And I don't think that, you know, as people were saying, uh, oh, you know, now it's over the initial honeymoon phase. No, he still still shows, as he did against Southampton and what you've already said against Spurs, Thomas Tuchel is a tactical genius. And, okay, mm. we were, we lost against two very strong sides, especially City, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, looking back at what we've actually played against, we've played, like, I think, seven games in the Premier League, and four of them were against top six sides. That is pretty darn good, thinking about that we've only lost one of them. You know, one loss, okay, one, uh, one uh, draw, but that draw, looking at the context was a good draw we were down to 10 men we can argue once again whether that was fair obviously not if you're Mm -hmm. a Chelsea fan um but uh you know that that was good with 10 men at Anfield I'm fine with us drawing our really big games in the Premier League away Mm -hmm. as long as we win them at home Uh, okay we lost at home against City but we know that we can beat them at the Emirates so uh I think we've had a great start of the season. We're at the top of the Premier League, and given our schedule that we already knew before the season started, I'm not sure everyone would have said we'll be at the top of the league table um, at the start of the second international. Yeah, this is the second international break. Yeah, yeah, uh, of the season. So, you know, we have to be happy. What hurts more was that loss against Juve because I really think we should have drawn that um, that Chiesa goal. I mean, he's a fantastic player. 
at the very latest people saw that after the or during the European Cup but it is what it is we are still very much in cruise control to get through I mean Zenit and Malmo should not really be that difficult hopefully <laughs> to be uh, to that <laughs> second spot at at worst um, if we win against Juve in the return leg then you know Everything's open. Juve has had a wobbly season themselves. But as I said, I, I'm reasonably happy. What worries me is not that we lost there uh, against City or Juve and that we did have problems against, for example, Southampton. Mm. It's really that injury crisis because we've had really a lot of injuries. During the international break now, we can counter that. Romelu Lukaku, who had to pull out. I'm not 100% sure of the extent. It, will he be able to start? It was more like some fatigue thing as well, a, a muscle tiredness or something. Uh, doesn't sound good. Christian Pulisic is still out, which is extremely worrying because, I mean, how is his future supposed to look at Stamford Bridge? Let's be completely honest here. We know that uh, under Lampard, uh, he then at the end of the first season under Lampard, he was our best player. And he showed it on numerous occasions that he can be our best, one of our best players. The problem is consistency, which was already at Dortmund the problem, and his injury proneness. And that is difficult. That's difficult. Hakim Ziyech is always, uh, not always, but he's injured now and again. With N'Golo Kante, that was out with COVID. That Okay, that's bad luck. Uh, Reese James, that he's back in training, and that is a godsend because I really thought he'd be out longer. But, you know, it's it's been difficult. It's been difficult. And thankfully, most of it has been during the international break. Uh, as long as Lukaku is deemed fit, we'll see on Friday in Thomas Tuchel's press conference. Yeah, that, that, that would be uh, okay. But, you know, it just goes to show that that squad depth that we have, that will hopefully pay off and... Because you mentioned him before, Ram, Rumloff's his cheek. He seems yeah. to be going to play a big role this season. <laughs> More than I would have expected. And it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, you and me both. Um, <laughs> I think he just completely come out of the blue. And like I've seen, listen, I saw this uh, tweet that kind of quoted something that, from an article from The Athletic that said Tuchel told loftus cheek something like, you're so special. Um, how are you not playing for Chelsea? Something like that in preseason. But I mean, <laughs> I, I don't understand why he said that. If he did, and then went and loaned Saul anyway, I just kind of don't get that. But yeah, fine. I mean, man management, all numbers, of that. No? jazz. Yeah, numbers. I mean, yeah. But then also Ross Barkley seems to be getting minutes now ahead of Saul. So. Just a bit, just a bit weird if things continue that way with the Saul transfer. But we anyway, don't need to just... care. It was it's a loan, isn't it? I mean, that yeah. that's what we were aiming for, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so somehow that's materialized in Ruben Loftus-Cheek getting more chances, and I yeah, I've, I've definitely got to tip my hat to Tuchel for well, kind of reinventing Ruben in this deeper defensive role. Uh, he's basically, he had been playing where Jorginho had been playing. And that's 
probably the version of Loftus Cheek that we never got to see in the last six years. He's been around the first team now and then because he's always been playing advanced, hasn't he? Yeah. So I think it's uh, very nice actually that um, Tuchel is looking to exploit his physicality and his ball carrying ability from deep because I just think that's a very valuable trait in general when you have a progressive minded midfielder like Dr. Sheik. So I'm really loving this version of Ruben. And um to to all credit to him, every appearance he's had so far with this with his substitute appearances even against Juventus, Man City, they were all they showed they showed enough intent for him to actually get the start against Southampton. And I thought he did really well against Southampton. Did you yeah, did yeah. you I mean, so do you see him as a as a, I don't know, do you see him muscling his way into more regular minutes this season? Huh. Because it, I, I guess the question now is, does Ruben move into the slot above Saul in the pecking order? Yeah, that's a that's a very, very good question. I mean, no no disrespect to Saul because obviously he's he's achieved more than Ruben lost cheek. Even with blue-tinted glasses, come on, people. I mean, Saul's been in, in Champions League finals. He's won uh, leagues with, with them and while Ruben Loftus-Cheek did win with us the Europa League, otherwise he's been a bit part player at best. Under Sari, that was his best season. Uh, had that injury not been, maybe he would already be established starter for us. It wasn't a B. That's the way it is. But it's great to see him come back into play. And, you know, Saul in the... I think he's played twice. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he started twice. And both times, I wasn't overly impressed. I mean, that first time was abysmal anyway. I think he knows that himself. And he's not really arrived yet, but that's why we loaned him. Um, we don't have an obligation to buy. Maybe he plays himself into the side. He has quality. You know, he, he is a quality player. And to have him in this squad, uh, climatizing to the league, to England, his, uh, his, um, his teammates... It'll take time, you know. It's the same with with the German players that came in. It's not. It wouldn't be the first Spanish player to need some time to get used to his new surroundings in England. Um, he's a great guy, you know. He saw with his his propaganda, his, his Chelsea propaganda uh, prop on Twitter. He's already uh, won quite a few Chelsea hearts with that. Uh, but at this moment in time. I think you'd have to be crazy to say Ruben Loftus-Cheek isn't ahead of him. And I think Tuchel sees that as well, because that's why he has been playing. And weirdly enough, I think even Ross Barkley is ahead of him. And when he came against Southampton, I thought, no, please, no. Because in that that game against Aston Villa, I thought he wasn't good. He always makes his wrong decisions. And then he made that one pass, which led to the goal for Timo Werner. He thought... He has always had quality, Ross Barkley. I think that is without goes without saying. But the inconsistency is what's killing his career. You know, he he showed it at Aston Villa last season with a, a bit of a purple patch, and he has got it in him to make the right decisions and then really execute a pass like that brilliantly. He just doesn't do it often enough because in that same game, I thought, wow, whoa, okay, you know, Tuchel. Brilliant, brilliantly played with that substitute. And then he just lost the ball completely, uh, you know, like amateurly uh, a few minutes later. I thought, oh, yeah, there we go again. It's, it's like you don't have any consistency with him. It's either 
he's brilliant or he's crud. You know, it's, it's, that's why for me, if N'Golo Kante is injured and he does not have an actor being that at the moment, um, and you have Jorginho and Kovacic, for example, playing, and Jorginho, who, although he doesn't get injured a lot, he needs rest as well. Rumlov's cheeks, the first name off the bench for me. Yeah, I, I think that's great. I mean, we. I don't think there is anyone who doesn't love Ruben Loftus-Cheek. That would very much surprise me, even if you think, okay, maybe his time won't come anymore, but he's a genuinely great guy. And he has got it in him. And Tuchel said that, as you mentioned, Ram. So for me, this is a great development. I absolutely love it because it, it was heartbreaking, that stupid injury in Australia. And it's great to see that he's back in the fold. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Well... On that note, I think we'll take a short break and return with the next section. Welcome back. And just to move on to the next point of discussion is probably Romero Lukaku. He hasn't scored in a few games, and usually that's not so bad since it it, it hasn't, I I wouldn't really call it a goal drought yet because that would be massively, well, short-sighted of me, myopic Mm -hmm. of me. But he hasn't scored in a few games, and he's usually a one and two, one and three at worst kind of striker. So, I guess, Jimmy, the question is why hasn't Romero Lukaku been scoring? Is it just that, uh, well, he, he, did, he did have a few half chances in, in the games gone by, but yeah. uh, I don't seem to recall him having clear cut chances so is it is it more of an issue with supply do you think um well i I, first of all i think it has to be said that it's actually great that a player goes on or a strike of us goes on for four games not scoring and we're already talking about well a lot of people already talking about a striker crisis or a goal crisis for him because (laughs) The standards are just that high for Romelu Lukaku, and he has held uh, that those standards, uh, or been up to those standards for quite a long time now. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we would want him to score every game. That's just in the Premier League. That isn't going to happen. I think we have to remember that the Premier League is getting more and more competitive. Uh, with each year, uh, the Newcastle takeover is just the latest development where one has to say another team in probably take a year or two, uh, but another team vying for that top four with the financial means that they have. I mean, if financial fair play has any bearing, then it will take them a, a few years, but otherwise they'd probably be buying six, seven players in January. And then you have another another team competing. And uh, the thing is, uh, sorry, Romelu Lukaku, he will have be the first to say, I want to, uh, you know, I haven't been scoring goals. I need to do better. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a mixture. You know, it, it's been service-wise poor. Hakim Z hasn't been playing well, if you ask me. Um, Timo Werner, while he did get a lot of assists last year, he hasn't been as much the provider this year as he has been uh, in the past. 
Uh, we have played differently, partially, with uh, like a two up front with Werner mm-hmm. and Lukaku. That hasn't quite clicked yet, at least for Lukaku. Um, I think someone of Lukaku's ilk is able to get back easily. I mean, he scored, if I'm not mistaken, he scored two goals for Belgium against, yeah. um, what was it, Italy, I think. Was it Italy or was it? No, France, France. France, Um, yeah. And, you know, the guy's a goal-scoring machine. It's not that, oh, has he lost his touch? No, he hasn't. No, he's he's got his goal-scoring touch. It's not gone. He showed that during the international break. It's more about service and the players finding into this new system, you know, getting used to him. It's it's still only seven games in this season, right? Mm -hmm. And he has scored a few, and I think... We just have to be patient. We just have to be patient. It'll come. It's more of a when rather than an if. You know, it's, I, I am dead certain that we're not going to see a Timo Werner and a 2.0, uh, like, what was it, over 20 games not scoring in the Premier League or something like that. And that, that's not going to happen with Romelu Lukaku. I'm sure that now, especially after the... Um, international break we will have a quite generous schedule because as we already mentioned before we've had a lot of um quality opposition up until now from the top six and now it's more you know like okay brentford has on a real high at the moment and we're definitely not allowed to underestimate them but they are uh they they did come from the championship last season and you'd expect a romelu lukaku to do well against them and I yeah. think we Romelu Lukaku has always done very, very well against, uh, you know, like poor teams to, to average teams. Uh, he does also score, obviously, in, in the big games, but hasn't done so as much this year. You know, uh, Arsenal is like the only exception, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it just needs to give time because I think he'll get... Uh, Come, you know, find back to his scoring ways after the international break. I'm quite sure about it. So I wouldn't panic. Well, or would you would you disagree with that? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I mean, and to be fair, just kind of thinking back to the Southampton game, he actually mm. did probably could have scored on another day with all the shots that he took in that match. Yeah. So it's probably uh, it's probably not really that much of a I don't know cause to be concerned or anything but there was a there was an article that i was reading just today mm. about this uh, on the athletic i think and it talked about also there were there were snippets from antonio conte talking about lukaku at some point oh yeah where, yeah where he was talking about basically that lukaku needs to be uh, playing with his face towards the goal you know mm. and not as a back to goal target man type and right now, I feel like the, 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 the dynamic between him and Kai Havertz, for example. And, and Havertz is probably the guy who plays like closest to the striker yeah. at the moment. And it's just the, the relationship between him and Havertz is that he makes passes to Havertz. Like he tries and links up with Havertz, but mm. Havertz does not link up with him at all. So that may be one missing element. Um like I, I definitely don't have any issues with how he holds up the ball in possession. I think that he is doing well in that aspect. Mm. But he 
could probably use some better link up from those around him, like the likes of Havertz and Ziyech as well. Ziyech also hasn't really linked up with him very well. Hasn't um, linked up with anyone, if you ask me. Uh, Ziyech has had a poor season, if you ask, if, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Ziyech just doesn't strike me as a player who is meant for um, shorter, quicker exchanges. He's much more of a playing a lot of low percentage passes. He, he loves to, you know, cut inside and then play a switch yeah. or play like a diagonal pass into the penalty area. He, and it just, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's probably like a combination of what you said and Lukaku not really having the most conducive players playing around him, you know, conducive to his conducive to his uh, style of play. Because Lukaku is, I think he's basically good at everything, including... Um, holding up the ball with his back to goal. So that's what he's doing right now. He's basically got the two players playing off him at the moment. But I think if they could involve him more in possession, then, yeah, uh, you might you might see things flowing a little more naturally. Because th- there, um, there was a quote from him as well saying that he likes to receive the ball when he's facing goal so that he can pass and then he can time his yeah. run into the box nicely. So... Yeah, just I think both those aspects are kind of missing at the moment, both with his role and with the guys playing around him. So that's, yeah, that's kind of leads to a wider rant about Ziyech and Havertz and just exactly what kind of player Havertz is. Because he basically plays like a shadow striker, just to use some football manager terminology, you know. Not, yeah, he just kind of keeps it simple when he's got the ball, doesn't doesn't really link up with the Kaku a lot, almost plays like a striker when he's around the box. So, mm. Yeah, it's probably. I don't think it's any issue with Lukaku himself, to be honest. And it'll probably just sort itself out. But uh, it's it's still probably a pertinent discussion because of the fact that the setup around him will hopefully change, and it it probably shows that the setup around him needs to be revised a bit as well. So, which is why it would be nice to have someone like Hudson Odoi or Hudson Odoi and Mount playing behind him, or maybe Warner and Mount playing behind him, or something like that. So. Yeah, that's that covers this non-issue because that's what it is. It is a non-issue, but it's just a thing that has been discussed in the general circles anyway. Yeah, uh, can I can I just add one more thing uh, yeah, regarding uh, well, also Lukaku. The thing is, uh, I think that between Romelu Lukaku and Timo Werner, a good partnership can develop. Because Timo Werner is mm-hmm. made for a two-striker system. That we know. Um, he has had a great international break. He really has. I mean, Kai Havertz has also scored. But Timo Werner has done well. He ha- he does miss chances, but we always knew that. Yeah. I mean, anyone who knows Timo Werner always knew that, right? From his Bundesliga days. And yeah. I think if he develops that bond with Romelu Lukaku a bit more. And I think this is what. Thomas Tuchel is currently trying to do because we have seen uh, more two up front play recently, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So maybe we just have to give it more time. And then once Timo Werner does, you know, get, get, finds form and starts scoring regularly again, then I'm sure it's just a matter of time that the same will be for Lukaku. And and then again, if Timo Werner never scores, but guests like, one or two assists per game for Romelu Lukaku because that he mm-hmm. also did in the Bundesliga. That's also good because I don't care who scores as long as we score. But obviously, you want your striker to be doing well. 
Yeah. So yeah, I, I think it's also a, the key is Timo Werner to keeping uh, to making him also play better or you know play to his his strengths. But the point you made uh, regarding also what Conte said with him playing towards goal with his face to goal, yeah, he said it himself. I think Thomas Tuchel is the last guy to say I'm stubborn and I'm not going to do that. He's been trying uh, different things. I think we just have to give it time. Just just to add that on the on the on the final note. Yeah, definitely. So while moving on to the next thing, a slightly uh, slightly strange thing as well. We've seen what stories of a potential hazard return. <laughs> if, if if I were to hazard a guess at that, sorry, terrible pun. But if I were to hazard a guess at that, then. I would say it's never going to happen. <laughs> let's just um, let's just run a thought experiment just to indulge ourselves, or just to indulge this kind of facetious story. And what would it actually look like if Hazard did come back? Do you think he would do well? I mean, you might as well might as well just you know play some lottery because it's. A lottery ticket will tell you as much as anyone will know about that because you, no idea, you know. Obviously, he didn't have as many injuries uh, at Chelsea as he has have has had at Real Madrid. I mean, mm. you feel sorry for the bloke. He's, you know, he's had a horrid time there with injuries and. He just uh, just thought that uh, he might actually be back on track. He hasn't had that many injuries this season. Now he's injured again. Hmm. So uh, I don't know. You know, if if our medical team would be able to um, fix him, so to speak, maybe. Then again, you know, we've had our own issues. I don't know if there's been any changes in, in the medical department, but we've had our own issues with. And Gorio yeah. Conte and with with uh, Christian Pulisic and so on, uh, getting in another injured player doesn't seem like a very good um, tactical move for me. You know, uh, yeah. with his brilliance, obviously. If if Hazard would be the Hazard of old, you know, which left Chelsea and he wouldn't be injured as often anymore. You know, mm. I mean, even at thirty years old, you'd say yes for another two seasons or something like that. And if you believe the, the, the gossip, which I wouldn't because the sources have been terrible, it'd be like for 35 million or something. I mean, what? <laughs> yeah, that we'd have to, right? I mean, for that That's kind funny. of money that you'd have to say yes to hazard return. But I don't think that, and I, Ram, I'd, I'd really like to hear what you think about this. I don't think hazard actually wants to. Not because he doesn't like Chelsea, but he certainly still has something to prove at Madrid. Yeah, I would think so. Like, he he always seems like... Well, he has always seemed like someone who just really wants to... Or, or has just wanted to enjoy the game before his move to Real Madrid because that's always been, like, the end game for him. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you're probably right because he... That was that was probably the one place where he wanted to prove himself the most. Otherwise, he just really wants to enjoy his football <laughs> from what we've seen at Chelsea. But, I mean, it's, it's a bit strange, like the, the things of him turning up to Real Madrid preseason out of shape and stuff. It's a bit 
strange when you consider them in that context. But yeah, I, I think he would very much want to stick around and try and prove himself. Because I mean, he's he's Eden Hazard, <laughs> and exactly. there's a there's there shouldn't be a way or there shouldn't be a world where he can't really turn around at Real Madrid. So it probably like just from a lack of interest on both sides, it probably it probably won't happen. But mm. yeah, if it did happen, I would just I would just wonder what happens to um yeah, I've just been forced to think in a very objective manner on this because I often think about how attackers affect the way teams play and like uh, well, like we discussed this a lot when Nazar was playing for us. He was a very high usage player. He, he was the attack. When yeah. the ball would go to him, momentum of the attack doesn't matter. <laughs> what happens? Like the momentum of the attack after it comes to Hazard, before it comes to Hazard, could be completely different. Like that goes both ways. A completely slow attack could be turned into a rapid one. A completely fast attack could be slowed down because he would want to like beat players multiple times. So yeah. it's just from a from a structural point of view, I just it would just really nag me a lot, given uh, given that we don't really have that kind of player with us now. I mean, Ziyech is probably the closest comparison, but you know he he doesn't come with that sort of quality. So <laughs> I don't know. It seems like the thing that I might do on a football manager or something, but probably not in real life. Silly season, eh? I mean, it has <laughs> been the international break. They've been desperate for anything. Uh, news-wise, so it makes sense that they'd be trying to just, you know, think of something weird as they have been with this 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 uh, room. I mean, as said, if, if this really were true, it would be a huge financial hit and a huge loss for Real Madrid. I mean, as said, thirty-five mil. Yeah, well, it sounds like a Mariner Mariner deal, right? <laughs> yeah. But then again, you can't be that stupid in regard to Real Madrid that that I mean then again I'll tell you what I don't think they'll have any resale value for him if he continues like this no, uh, injury wise he's 30 years old and I think he has a, a contract for another a few more years he'll be worth nothing this will be a way to at least get some money in but yeah. you know, who knows who knows you know yeah difficult to say but I, I don't know. It's 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 also a question of would this disturb our team coherence, right? I think if there were ones that would be leaving us this summer or next summer or in January, whatever, then it probably would be Hakim Ziyech because there have been question marks uh, over his head regarding uh, does he fit into full system? Uh, he's the oldest of the attacking bunch apart from Lukaku, uh, who's mm-hmm. definitely not going anywhere. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess it's not impossible, but it seems very, very unlikely. And then again, you know, you'd rather want us to go maybe for someone younger, like a a Kiesa or something like that from Juve. Um, we'll we'll just have to wait and see. But obviously, from an emotional stamp uh, point of view, I don't think you can say no to Hazard, you know. But sporting wise. Major question marks. Yeah. 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 Pretty much. And well, I guess we've said all that we have to say on that as our topic. So we will head into another very short break and we will return with a loan down. 
and welcome back and we are heading into our low and roundup section which we haven't done in a while so it's going to be nice to catch up on what our loanies have been up to and i, I won't i won't cover the likes of miyazka and bachuai and bakayoko just because they probably never play for the club again but on that note it was nice to see danny drinkwater playing football and enjoying himself in the championship he's moved to reading in the championship and he's moved with baba rahman another one who will never play for us but it's just nice to see these guys find their rhythm again i mean obviously baba rahman had a decent season with park last year which is a team of a pretty decent level if you ask me below the premier league and reading is probably a good place for both of them to just gain some more momentum in their careers so drinkwater made his first start for reading quite recently first full start and just really ran proceedings and rahman has been playing well also he's been marauding down the left as per usual and i was always my expectation that he would be among the better left backs in the championship because he's essentially not a bad player just because he can make it at chelsea True. so uh, reading have got an incredibly cheap deal getting both of those for like 8 to 10 grand a week uh, whereas their actual salaries are probably several times that so that's good for them but they are part of the loan army and it's just nice to see them playing football again so that is the first thing i wanted to touch on and then after that just a slight change of tone to Ethan Ampadu who is playing well not playing for Venezia now and i say that with an appreciable air of frustration in my voice if that wasn't evident already because it's just <laughs> what did we think when we were loaning him to venezia like i i just that's not a um that's not a knock on our loan department i just genuinely want to know what they were thinking when they sent him there like what was the rationale were there any coaching connections because he wasn't in the squad for the first three games and then maybe maybe he was injured or something to be fair but well after that he's actually made appearances uh, against torino and Cagliari at the end of September and the start of October and those have actually come off the bench he's come on as a substitute because one of the starters got injured and so that's a it's at least nice that he's the first sub off the bench for Venezia but just generally it's a bit strange that we would send him there given he has had a season at Leipzig where he didn't play then he had a season at Sheffield United who were very bad and got relegated and relegation loans just aren't ideal and now he's at Venezia who have five points from seven games and will probably be in the mix for relegation also like it just seems like they might they could survive because the other bottom three in in the Serie A just don't seem to be in a good place either but yeah I just uh I, just the best case scenario coming out from this loan is Ampadu getting some minutes in every game so I just hope that it continues uh from this point onwards so I'm not very happy with that loan but at least he's got some minutes in the last two games so that will work and, and the shirts <laughs> they do have nice shirts they do have nice shirts so which is why I am the cutting them some more slack yeah <laughs> um 
The next one that I wanted to cover was Armando Proja. Armando Proja, another one, just uh, going from one suboptimal loan to another, because I'm not sure why Southampton would actually start Armando Proja when they have Shea Adams and Adam Armstrong, who are, at this moment, probably more ready for the Premier League than Armando Proja has looked in his career. I, in fact... I mean, we've been through this before, and I always thought there would be a championship loan that he would go towards because that would be more like his level. But he's uh, he's made a few cameo appearances for Southampton four so far in the Premier League, but then the other times that the other three games he just hasn't even been in the squad. So I'm just yeah, I'm not sure what the plan is for him because he played for them in the EFL Cup against Newport. He scored two goals there. That's good, but Newport are a League Two side. And he should be scoring goals against teams of that level anyway. So it's good that he did. And they won 8-0, by the way, in that game. So he ought to have bagged in that match. And then he played against Sheffield United in the next cup game, which is good for continuity, but he didn't play very well. And he kind of caught some criticism from uh, Mr. Hasenogel, actually, after that, because Hasenogel kind of questioned his desire to impact the game. He said that, Broja just didn't show enough willingness to want to impact the game and kind of questioned his uh, commitment at that point. So that was probably, he was just trying to, you know, fire him up, but just not, yeah, not promising. Uh, even though he had one appearance after that game, but he's probably he's probably just got some more development to go. So that's just, let's see how that plays out. It's not, not ideal, but at least he's getting some cameos for Southampton, which is probably the best case that I could have imagined when he joined them on loan. So the international goal was great. It was. Oh yeah. yeah, that was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, that was actually a very good example of what Proja can do at his best because he's a, he's an explosive striker. You know, um, when I when I think of him and I think of someone like Pat Sendaka, I really love a striker that can, uh, you know. Um, make his way from like the half line to the final third all on his own uh, because he's he's a lot quicker than you'd think just given his size and his frame lanky but just very quick so he he's done that exact same thing for Vitas Arnhem many times as well so it was nice to see him replicate that for Albania and it was just a very good solo goal excellent finish from a tight angle as well so let's hope that he carries that momentum back into the club game when he plays his next game for Southampton and after that, the other loanee that we have in the Premier League is Billy Gilmore, who started life in Norwich City as um, as one of the first names on the team sheet. So the first three games he started. And since then, he's completed 90 minutes. Well, just started really in one out of the next four games. So against Arsenal, Everton, Burnley, he was an unused sub. He played against Watford, but yeah, unfortunately, Norwich seemed to have some problems going they've only uh they haven't won a game yet they've only picked up one point which was against burnley in which Gilmore didn't play so Huge that's surprise yeah that's uh that's number one sorry just had to say that that's uh not great for gilmore i guess that they actually picked up their first points of the season without him so just kind of um sometimes it so happens that a team that's stuck in a rut ten- tends not to change things when they have picked up a point so Hopefully he won't have to work too hard to get back into their side. But on the well, on the bright side, he has looked very good for Scotland in the international break. And he seems to have become a pretty important player for the national team since the Euros. 
So that's always that's that's great. That's always good. He's already up to like eight eight international caps at senior level, which which seems incredibly cool actually. Now given that the it seems like the Euros were just like a couple of weeks ago, so time is flight. But he's he's a, a very integral part of his national team still. So that's always it's always good to see. So hopefully he can break back into the side after the international break as well. And after that, the other one who's actually doing well in the Premier League is Conor Gallagher. And you've, I don't know if you've seen that clip on Twitter that's just been circling around where Crystal Palace uploaded a really nice move uh, that consisted of exchanges between Gallagher and I think Olise and Zaha, where they were all playing these really nice looking passes among one another. And Gallagher was involved in that, and it was just really great to watch. And it's, uh, yeah, it's quite cool. Like he, he's been one of Palace's better players. He's playing in the rule that suits him suits him best, which is box to box, freedom to make a lot of penetrative runs forward off the ball. He's he's really good at that. Um, just just allowing him to use his energy the whole time, out of possession, in possession. And he's obviously scored a couple of goals early on in the season, and he's just remained an important part of the side since. So more more power to Conor Gallagher, who's just going from strength to strength and hopefully just continues that way because after two full seasons in the Premier League, I think his stock is going to be high enough for him to either be in our squad or move on permanently for a good fee. So good on him for that. And... After that, I guess the next, um, just the next two loanies to talk about would be Ian Matson and Jake Clarksalter at Coventry City in the Championship, and they are both doing well. Uh, Coventry have been doing incredibly well actually so far, considering that they just got promoted to the Championship in 2020. They have looked very strong this season. They have constantly remained in the top five, and Matson has started pretty much every game I think so it's a good sign that Martin has been starting every game because let me tell you he's a player that does have off days as well he has significant off days like the fact that he started every game for them and played I mean completed 90 minutes more often than not is a good sign because often you know even though he's playing as a wing back sometimes he just forgets his uh, positional responsibilities at times and Obviously, his his stature is something that he needs to work work around as well, like Jada Silva before him. But he has acquitted himself nicely. Like Coventry had a shock loss to Luton, just shock in terms of scale because it was five 0 after they had a good run of form. So Martin and Clark's Halter were both quite bad in that game, but then they bounced back with a four one win against Fulham, who are basically a Premier League side with the players that they have at the moment. So it was just. Very bizarre, but also very good. And Matson scored a cracker of a goal. Just one of those beautiful shots from a diagonal left-hand side uh, from the edge of the area that just rockets into the net, you know. So that was his, I think, I think it was his first professional goal, if I'm not wrong. So just, yeah, hats after him to bounce back after a bad performance to completely take the bull by its horns against Fulham, a side like Fulham. And do that well. And the the exact same applies to Jake Clarksalter, who is now finding his rhythm again in the championship. So hopefully they will continue having strong seasons. And Martin is it's it's easy easy to forget. Martin is just nineteen at the moment. 
So the fact that he's playing regularly at this level is very promising. And that wraps it up for the loan roundup, but I just wanted to cover the exploits of one former player, as it saddens me to say. Tammy Abraham is doing quite well since he left Chelsea. Tammy Abraham is no longer a Chelsea player, but we have a buyback clause on him. And uh, as any listener, and as you will know, it's my hope that we will exercise it one day, but he has had a good start to life at Roma. He has scored two goals, has two assists um, in the Serie A in about six full 90s, which is great. He has a very high XG going, despite the fact that his team doesn't seem to be giving him that many shots for some reason. In the Conference League, he scored two goals in like, I think, a combined 40 minutes. (laughs) So that's good as well. And he's been called up to England, which is just just brilliant, really, for him. He must be incredibly happy. And he scored for England also uh, against Andorra, even though it was just Andorra. But... He scored a second-hour goal for England, and he's just, yeah, he's flying. Recently turned 24, and yeah, just this is the season that could really establish him in the Premier League. So, sorry, establish him uh, in European football, not the Premier League. But it's, yeah, it's brilliant to see him and also Fikayo Tomori, another ex-Chelsea player, getting called back up into the England setup. And yeah, just goes to show that we have good players coming out of Cobham. And... That brings us to the end of the loan report slash slight catch-up on players that have left Chelsea in the recent past. It's very, it's always very, very intriguing to see how well that our players do. I mean, the one player that I'm very saddened about uh, in regard to the loan destinations he's had and that they haven't been success is Ethan Ampadu because... He's one of the most talented ones of the whole bunch that we have at the moment, if you ask me. I think he's one of those that I'd also say I really want him to make at Chelsea because he's just that good. I love his his, his attitude. I love the way he plays. It's just brilliant. And, uh, yeah, uh, it has to be said, you know, all all jokes aside with, with the, the, the kits, which is a very nice kit, that away, away kit especially, um, but you know why? Why did he go there? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem to make sense. Uh, you know, in Italy, the problem is that the the promoted sides they are really bad. They would they wouldn't probably not even make it in the championship. They wouldn't even get up in the championship if you ask me. You know. Uh, people might disagree, but it's, it just seems like a very bad uh, or poor choice once again. And Leipzig was too ambitious. This one is not ambitious enough, if you ask me, in regard to team quality. It just seems like uh, he's being mismanaged, which is a very rare occurrence for Chelsea and its scouting department. I have to uh, scouting its loan department. It has to be said, because we always do a very, very good job with that. But I don't know. Ethan Ampadu is, uh, it just seems a bit of a step back again, uh, again, yeah. So I hope that turns out to be, uh, I, 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 sorry, I hope to be wrong. I really do. I hope that he has a great season, he comes back and then he can 
show Tuchel once more what he can do and that it be may be Rumloft's cheek 2.0. And yeah, we'll just have to wait and see, I guess. Uh, there'll be a lot of fluctuation, I think, next summer. So maybe he'll get his shot then. But if he doesn't play at all for Vanessa this year, then he'll be a problem. Yeah. Very, very difficult. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, we shall look towards our next fixture then. Yes, sir. Yeah, I don't know who we're playing. Sorry? <laughs> Brentford, I forgot. I'm sorry. You'll just have to cut yeah. out that bit. <laughs> Listeners, you did not hear that. But yes, we are playing against Brentford. Um, it's a weird one, if you ask me, because normally I'd say, you know, they just got promoted uh usually we should be able to beat them comfortably but they've had a great season thus far and their 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 coach has been great you know tactically it seems as if he's taking the premier league like a duck to water and you know they they got a huge scalp in arsenal well you know that huge anymore but you, nevertheless you know you you would have expected arsenal to win comfy uh comf- comfortably in the in the first game of the season there and they they've they've had some great wins so i think we'll have to be at our absolute best to beat them what do you agree ram yeah i guess i mean you know me i will uh never speak ill of any side that's been in the efl in the last three years or so so but no, um, honestly, this not. Brentford have been impressive in the Premier League so far. Like they haven't. I always feel like they they are never really wedded to a very swashbuckling approach of football that leaves them very vulnerable at the back. So, I'd say that they're very flexible in their approach, in terms of you know choosing the right times to attack, to commit men forward, uh, when to sit. They're well coached. I think Thomas Frank is and has been a very good manager. And he's constantly improved the side every season, despite players leaving and having to get new ones in. And if you think about it, like this season, they've got Sergi Canos starting games for them. And he's not someone that I would think would start a lot of games in the Premier League. Like, I've obviously, like guys like Ambermo, Ivan Tony. Christopher Ayer, uh, Nogard, even, even Rico Henry, I think. Yeah, fine. I could see those guys starting games in the Premier League. But he's, you know, you consistently see guys like Pontus Janssen, Vitaly um, Janert, uh, well, Ethan Pinnock, I, I think he's very good. But yeah, like Janert, uh, Janssen, Sergi Canos, you see... Shandon Baptiste also. Shandon Baptiste has basically been out for a year with injury. And he's starting games in the Premier League as soon as he's become fit now. So it's um it's very interesting to me, to be honest, the way that they've set up their team. They haven't really changed anything around in terms of personnel. They've kept the group consistent. They haven't made any huge additions outside of Ayer. Um Onyeka has been a relatively low profile one, but he's been very good. And it's just, yeah, it's just a testament to how good I think Thomas Frank is, to be honest. Like, hopefully he doesn't get relegated and 
uh, with me saying this on record now, but I think he'll guide them to safety. It it, it just feels very similar to, um, you know, Chris Wilder's first season at Sheffield United, where they had a lot of players like John Lundstrom just came out of nowhere, basically. He didn't even play many games in that promotion season, but he came in and he played a bunch of games in the Premier League and he looked competent and... Sheffield United did really well that season, but then they, I mean, they collapsed the season after, but anyway, they did much better than people expected them to when they came up. And I think the same thing is happening with Brentford. And I think that, yeah, it just shows you what a coherent group and a good manager can do. And I think it's reflected in every game that they've played so far. And it's clearly like knowing when to get the results. Obviously, they beat Arsenal first day, but after that, just, you know, trying not to lose games against the likes of Palace uh, and Wolves and Villa. Like, those are the games that they definitely don't, don't want to lose. And they haven't lost those, um, except to Brighton, which was, again, probably a pretty tight game. So Brighton's been really good this season. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and they've been... Has done a phenomenal job. Yeah, exactly. And they've been really good as well. Uh, so, it's, yeah, it has to be said that Brentford have been excellent. They even beat West Ham, and West Ham... As we know, or um, no pushovers, especially now under this new look, uh, David Moyes era. So I think it's going to be a very interesting match with with them basically setting up with a similar kind of formation to us as well. So I really look forward to how it plays out in a you know on the tactical side and how how, how we adapt to them or how they adapt to us. So. Yeah, sitting sitting nicely in uh, in seventh place. So it's going to be it's going to be a game that I will definitely definitely not miss, and no one that's listening to this should be missing it either. So do you do you think it's going to be like a tight one? Do you anticipate us making it like one nil or two one or such? Yeah, yeah, I I think it will because they the thing is that Brentford, first of all, they are very much up for every game they've been playing. Yeah, even the Brighton one, which uh, when I look, uh, to be fair, I only looked at the highlights, but still, um, they seem up for every each and every game. And tactically, it'll be a very, very interesting match, I'm sure. Uh, how Tuchel sets up against them. Uh, one player that we really have to watch out for, and I think this isn't a big secret, is even Tony. He's been phenomenal. I, I'm at, I was actually very surprised that he wasn't called up by Gareth Southgate, but then again, that wasn't because Gareth Southgate only calls up players that play for big clubs. Uh, that's just Southgate's mantra, it would appear. And um, yeah, Tony's been absolutely fantastic, if you ask me. I mean, he's tried to do the best, uh, make the best out of the service he's gotten he's been very strong physically ragdolled those arsenal defenders uh maybe not as 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 badly as lukaku did to them but still you know he 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 has shown a lot so that one could say that if brentford were to fall off in at some point this season and uh, tony continues to play the way he has I am absolutely certain he'll be ending up at a like a West Ham next year. You know, maybe not uh, a top top six uh, club. Or then yeah. again, I think Arsenal could do a lot worse than what they've got right now with even Tony. And I think a lot of the fans are actually would be in favour of getting him. But you know, same with Tottenham. You know, if Kane were to leave, I think 
apart from like us, um, Liverpool and and City, probably also United. Uh, apart from those four teams, he could probably play in every team in the Premier League uh, at the moment. At least rotate, you know, be you know, have some competition. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up because I don't think he will be staying at Brentford after, uh, you know, post this season. So he will be a very, very difficult guy to, to keep in, in order on, on mm-hmm. Saturday. And our defenders will have to be at their very best physically as well as mentally. You know? So, yeah, I think we can finish this off now with uh, yeah. usual predictions. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, with a 2-1. I think you already implied something like that as well. Yeah, so. It just seems like a good thing. I mean, maybe we get a clean sheet, but maybe we won't. So <laughs> it, it, it seems it seems very viable that they do score one, pull one back or you know draw level at some point. But I do think we will win it in the end. Oh, I hope so at least. So yeah, that would be mine, Rams. You agree with that? Um, starting eleven wise, Ram. Who who would you want to see in the starting eleven? Any particular choices that stand out? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see Ruben playing. To be honest, um, especially as some players might have, you know, international break exertions, by which I basically mean Jorginho. So I would like to see Ruben rewarded for his good performance against Southampton by having a start here also. So it's basically just, yeah, notable things that I want to see in the lineup would be Ruben in midfield and just players that will give good service behind Lukaku. So Mason Mount and Hudson Adoy or Mason Mount and Warner. What about you? Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a good shout to go ahead and say, you know, Ruben should be starting this one. Um Oh, it's a difficult one because I'm not 100% sure who's fit. You know, obviously, N'Golo Kante's returned to, to training this week, and that is fantastic. But is he ready to start? Is he fit enough? Should we risk it after he's had COVID? You know, it's it's not some, some you know, illness that he's had. This is, this is something that has to be taken very seriously. Um if he doesn't, and Jorginho, as you already mentioned, he has had a very long season already now in October. Does one start Kovacic and Loftus-Cheek? Um, does one playing with someone else? I don't know. It's, 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 it'd be a tricky tricky one, but I agree he deserves to start. Um, I also would really want to see Callum Hudson-Odoi starting. I have to say it because I think Reese James he has also returned, but uh, I don't know. It, it seems too early for him. I think he should rest this one out and then maybe get a start in against Malmo up front. You know, uh, if you start with Mason Mount and Callum Hudson Doy, either side of Romelu Lukaku, I'd be down with that. But realistically, it's going to be Timo Werner. He's been doing very well over the international break, and I can't, I wouldn't be able to fault Thomas Tuchel for starting him um, ahead of Callum Hudson-Doy. So if it would be Werner, um, Lukaku, Mount up front, 
I'd be fine with that. That 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 would be something I'd like to see. And you know, having watched also the Denmark game yesterday, Andreas Christensen, fantastic outing. Not that Austria really threatened much, but still, you know, he is a rock, and I can't wait to see him again in the Chelsea shirt. Hopefully, with an announced contract extension soon. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I yeah. think that 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 would that would be my preferences. Otherwise, you know, trust in Tuchel, really. Yeah, pretty much. As long as we don't get Abbott's and Ziyech behind Lukaku, we should be good. But anyway. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, Ram. I think that wraps it up, eh? Yep, that does wrap it up. So we will catch you on the next episode of We and Got No Podcast, whenever that is. As always, we will hope that it's sooner rather than later. But if you are listening to this right now, then thank you for sticking with us through this episode again. And hopefully you've enjoyed it as much as we have. So, Jimmy, um, we'll see them next time. So this is the end of this episode of We Ain't Got No Podcast and keep the blue flag flying high.